Amen. Well, Merry Christmas. My name is Eric. If you haven't met me, we are so glad you came to join and celebrate Jesus with us. Um, if you don't have a church family, we'd love for you to come and join us Sundays at 8.30 and 10. Uh, we'd love to be a part of your Sunday uh, church family. And uh, after the service, uh, this is for all the dads. I need you to put on a smile and take a picture with your family, okay? And the families look great and beautiful. I know it's hard. You don't want to smile and you don't want to wait, um, but it'll be a great gift for the family. You'll look back and enjoy it. And so I encourage you to do that. And there's refreshments while you wait. And so we encourage you to do that. And so if you've been paying attention in the service, hopefully you've noticed what we've tried to do is slowly piece together uh, the Christmas story of how it came about and where they were and where they went and uh, what were the places and activities that came together. And so it all leads us to this moment in time in Matthew chapter 1, um, where we see Joseph and Mary. And so we want to start with a question. I want you to think. Uh, I want you to participate in what's happening in the text. And so the question is this. Have you ever uh, been devastated or have you ever been let down? Have you ever been disappointed because there was an event or a person or a time in your life where you thought it was going to be different? You had an idea and a dream, a vision of what it should be. And when you actually got there, it was nothing like you thought. And it left you sad and disappointed, confused, maybe lonely. Uh, for me, there was a time like that in my own life. Um, I was just married, and we'd been married about four months. And my wife had broken her collarbone. And through the process of figuring that out, we found out she was pregnant. And so through figuring that out, we're like, oh no, there was x-rays and pain medication and trauma. And so now all of a sudden we're worried uh, about the baby and something had happened. Also, I don't know if I mentioned, we lived in Arizona, which is a big deal because she was pregnant through the summer. Um, my wife would say she was trapped in a blow dryer through the months and her CDs were melting. So she couldn't even listen to music and she couldn't go outside. And there was severe morning sickness, and we didn't know if it was from the accident. So we're in the hospital two to three times a week. And so as I'm wondering, are we going, you know, what's going to happen with the baby? What's happening with her health? Um, we also, if you remember the 2007 and 8 kind of housing market crash, uh, we had had lined up potentially to get a house, and all of a sudden that's moved away. So there's baby, there's sickness, there's no house. And then all of a sudden I lose my job. And so on top of all this, I find myself in a place of saying, you know what, I went to college, I grew up in the church, I did this the right way, and this is not how this is all supposed to play out. I think part of it was, you know, before, before Hallmark, there was I Love Lucy and Andy Griffith. I grew up watching those and Leave It to Beaver, and I thought, this is how it's supposed to be. Smiles and cheers and happiness and joy. And I find myself in sickness and loss and, and a blow dryer, Right? And so I sit there and I'm, I'm literally asking, okay, God, what, what happens? How does this work? Because often after devastation comes fear. And in fear, you're like, how are we going to get through this? What is going to happen? What are the outcomes? Because this is not what I planned. Maybe you found yourself not in that exact position, but in a similar position where either maybe your health is not what you imagined. Your job is not what you had imagined. You look at your marriage or your kids, and you think, this isn't the plan. This isn't the way it was supposed to be. You look at the government. You look at the school systems. Whatever it is, 
There are things that just drop on top of us and we say, God, this wasn't how it was supposed to be. This is exactly where we find ourselves in the text. Joseph has worked hard. He's trying to be a faithful Jewish man. He's just become a man. He's between somewhere of 13 and 15, and it says that he's betrothed, which is different for us. It's a a more formal engagement that there is a legal obligation, but they're not fully married yet. So they haven't consummated. They haven't celebrated. So he's off preparing a place for them, which time when the father thinks that he has prepared an adequate place, he'll send him to grab his bride, bring her to the ceremony and celebrate. So Joseph, in great anticipation, finds himself at this point that she's actually pregnant. Okay, so let's pick up our text here. It says that they've been betrothed in verse 18. And at the end of it, it says, and she was found to be with child. And so Joseph is in this great dilemma. He'd done things the right way, and all of a sudden she's pregnant. He knows it's not his And so he has to entertain, okay, what's happening? Did she cheat on me? Do I still marry her? He loves her because it says that he, if you keep looking in 19, that he didn't want to put her to shame. And so he's thinking, how can I deal with this quietly? And it comes to this interesting word in verse 20. It says he considered these things. And so in his devastation, he's considering his options. And as he's considering his options, he's beginning to have an intense fear. What if I do marry her? Will she love me? Will she cheat on me? Will this baby love me? Will this father out there come and mess with this marriage? Will this cloud of scandal affect us? Will we be looked at as the, the black sheep of the family always? And we know he was in fear because the text tells us that God says to him, do not fear. So this is Joseph trying to figure these things out, moving from devastation to fear as he tries to ponder what are the effects, what are the causes, what are the after effects of this decision? And so as he gets there, I want you to think, just think through this. You have a 13-year-old, maybe 15 trying to figure out the rest of his life and in a moment that he did not anticipate, in a moment that he did not want, in a moment that he had no idea was coming. Now, sidebar, I want you to think about this. Some of you, you might not be a Christian. You might think this is a silly story. You might think this is, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I would have you think about this, okay? Have you been around a 13 to 15-year-old lately? Yeah? I'm just not, seriously. They struggle with communication, eating healthy, sleeping, most normal functions they struggle with. Is this true? Yeah. So if you were going to lie, you're going to make up a story, would you do it through the grand genius of a 13 to 15-year-old? In this text, it says that this was to fulfill the prophet, the prophecy in verse 22. Would you use a 13 and a 15-year-old to fake a prophecy that's been waiting for hundreds of years to come true? Would you take a 13 and 15-year-old and say, let's fake a prophecy, raise him to do fake miracles, raise him to outsmart the religious leaders, the Roman government, send people to die for their faith and live for 2,000 years later? That's a little absurd, don't you think? 
So then my question would be, well, then what's happening in the text? Is what God often do, does is he uses the ordinary to prove that he is extraordinary. He uses the simple to prove it's clearly, clearly him that is moving. It's all through the Old Testament, the New Testament. God does things and brings about things in such a way that causes you to say, I am doing this. So you look and say, God clearly had to do this. And so God in his infinite wisdom, he uses Joseph and Mary. And he's in the middle of Joseph's fear. And he says, Joseph, do not fear. Take Mary to be your wife. Because that which she has is from the Holy Spirit. And then he tells him the two most important things you will ever hear in all of your life. He has come to save the people from their sins. And he will be named Jesus, meaning Emmanuel. He is with you. You are saved from your sins and God is with you. Those are the two most important things you could ever hear in all of your life. And those are the two things he tells Joseph to calm him through this fear. You see, what God is doing is he's helping Joseph realize you are participating in the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. He's here to take away the sins of the people and he is with you. See, from the beginning, this was the plan. This in the garden, think through this with me. God, he's holy, he's just, he's perfect, and he's a creator. He creates Adam and Eve, man and woman, to be in this relationship with him. They break the relationship through sin. It creates a debt between them and God. They've sinned, violated against God. And there's punishment they can't pay for. So the rest of the Old Testament is what? It's people trying to figure out how to become right with God how to satisfy the judgment that they will receive for the sin they have done against him. And so no matter how hard they work, they can't make themselves right. They can't pay. They can't pay. So from Genesis forward, God makes a promise. He says that through the seed of the woman, he will crush the serpent. So God's saying, this is the seed of the woman, Joseph. This is the one who can pay for the sins of the people. He will live the perfect life. He will bear the wrath of God that saved them from their sins. He's gonna do this. So God sends Jesus, his son, to live the perfect life, to bear the wrath of God, die and rise in our place. So that leaves us ultimately with what? A decision that if we want to be saved from our sins, that we would turn, this is what repentance is, turn from following ourselves, our sin, the world, whatever it is you're following, and follow Jesus. Say, I accept him as that payment on my behalf. And then I will have him with me always till the end of the earth, till Christ comes back or he takes me to heaven. That is the promise. So this is significant because he's now telling Joseph, look, this is the plan. It's gonna be hard. I mean, think through the rest of the story that Herod's gonna try to take their baby, they're gonna be persecuted, all these things. Like, look, this is, he's going to take the sins and I'm going to be with you, Joseph. I'm going to be with you. If you've accepted Christ as your savior, he is with you always. That's the good news of this story, of this truth. But here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, I have no hope for you outside of Jesus. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you, there really is no hope to crush that fear. 
to move you through that devastation. See, the weight of fear will cripple you and it will crush you. And most people will tell you to try harder and work harder and try harder. And it simply just buries you and drowns you even further into the ground. If you are a Christian, if you've accepted Jesus as that payment, you know he is with you. So Christian, this tells you two things. One, Jesus paid for your sin. What does that mean? That whatever you're going through, whatever devastation or tragedy or pain you are going through, it could be worse. You could have to endure the wrath of God. Take great hope that the worst thing can't happen to you because Christ did it for you. He paid for you. And then the second thing, he is with you. He is with you. You are not alone. These are the two greatest things you could ever learn. Your sins are paid for and he is with you. This takes me back to my story. I find myself at the bottom, hopeless, wandering, and God simplifies it for me. Your sins are paid for and I am with you. And it is in that moment I knew whatever may come through the pregnancy, housing, all of the things, whatever happens, my sins are paid for and he is with me. See, those are the two greatest things. It's good to have, you know, support groups and marriages and friends. All of those things are great to help you. But there's only one who knows everything, who is all powerful and loves you perfectly and completely, that knows the sins and the thoughts and the fears and the insecurities. And he says, I still love you and I am still with you. See, Christmas is the grand reminder. It's the grand reminder that your sins are paid for and God is with you. Therefore, anything the world may bring, you will be okay. Christmas is the great hope and it is the great joy because it reminds us the sins are paid for and God is with us. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we thank you that you would send your son in our place, that you would love us enough to make a way for us to become right with you. You would make a way for us to be with you in heaven forever. I pray that no matter where we find ourselves in pain or suffering, that we would find great hope that our sins are paid for. Heaven is our home and that you are with us. We would celebrate that. We would find comfort in that. We would never forget that. We would cherish that. You are with us. We can get through all things because you are with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you've ever stayed up late at night, um, you'll notice that sometimes in silence, you can be absolutely crushed through the chaos and anxiety of your thoughts. Because all of a sudden you don't have activities and kids and marriage and work to keep you busy. And so your mind has this opportunity to run wild and it starts to think of the, the things that make you afraid and the things that are in front of you and the things you can't control. And so it's in that darkness and that silence that sometimes we can become overwhelmed. And the beauty, the beauty of Jesus and Christmas is that in a silent dark night, he enters into the world as light. 
And he casts out the darkness, meaning he casts out fear. He casts out anxiety. He makes a way for us to be with him. And he says, I will be the light that guides you through the darkness. Yes, there might be chaos. And yes, there might be pain. But I will light the darkness and show you how to move and guide around the bumps and the hills and the tragedy. And so we're going to take a moment and we're going to, we're going to light these candles and we're going to sing. And it'd be my prayer that you wouldn't just sing and not think, but you would think and this would be a visual picture that reminds you that God through Christ has brought light into your world that allows you to see and be at peace that you are at peace with God through the light and allows you to accomplish and do anything you need to do with man and in this world. It is symbolic hope and joy and peace and love that that light brings to us. So after I pray, I want you to stand and we're gonna light from the front and we're gonna light from the back. And John's gonna lead us in silent night and we're gonna praise God for sending Jesus to be that light. So if you would pray with me and then we'll stand and sing. Dear Jesus, just pray that you would move us, help us be grateful and thankful for all that you have done. Um, It's my prayer that there would be a great peace in this room. There would be a great joy that you have cast light into darkness that we can see and move and live because of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.